Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about glory and thankfulness. And you might be thinking, what connection is there between glory and thankfulness? Prayerfully, by the time we get done with this message today, we'll see the connection between the two and commit ourselves to being much more thankful than we've ever been before in our life, in living for Christ. I know this is what we would call maybe Thanksgiving month. You would think it was Christmas already by everything else that's out there in the world today. But we're just beginning the month in which we're probably more aware of the fact that we have a day set aside to give thanks. Thanksgiving is not just one day. Thanksgiving is every single day. But I want to help us lead up to a place where by the time we celebrate Thanksgiving, we know exactly what we're doing and should be doing every day of our lives. In the book of Psalms, chapter 8, beginning at verse 9, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, that Hebrew word is Elohim, some translations say even a little bit lower than God, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Everybody say glory and honor. honor. What was man crowned with? Glory Glory and honor. Thou made him a little bit to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea. And whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Did you notice this? He created man, and then he crowned him as the crown of his creation with what? Glory and honor. And with the glory and honor bestowed upon him, what was he to do? Exercise dominion over all the works of God's hands. What a privilege to be in that place or that position. Wouldn't you agree? Think about it. Well, look at Romans chapter 3, though. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When man fell, he fell from the glory of God. And when he fell from the glory of God, he no longer could exercise the dominion that God gave him from the very beginning. See, God's intended purpose was for man to operate, to walk in and manifest his glory in the earth and exercise dominion over it, subdue it, and just be in control of it, bring all things under subjection to himself. But when man fell, he fell from the glory. That glory was gone. Satan became the god of this world. Jesus basically said the same thing. And of course, man then became subject to the kingdom of darkness. Never God's intention for man. Well, God intended that for Adam and Eve in the beginning, but how many of you know He intends that for us even now? That we walk in the glory of God 
and manifest His glory in such a way in the earth that we can once again exercise dominion as He intended for us to from the very beginning. Well, when it comes to exercising that dominion, we've got to have the glory. But to have the glory, how do we get the glory? Let me just quickly say it to you. It's not by impartation. It's by transformation. It's by discipline. It's by learning the truth of God's word and applying its principles to our lives. It's by maturing spiritually, not just by a spiritual impartation. Now, there are some things that we can receive by impartation. Sometimes there are impartation meetings. And you can have someone lay hands on you. There's an impartation, maybe a gift that the person has. And it's transferred over to somebody else and they can more proficiently operate maybe in something like that. But when it comes to operating in the glory of God and that being thankful and developing a heart of gratitude, an attitude of uh, thanksgiving before God, this is a result of discipline. It's transformation where the manifestation of God's glory flows through us as God intended. So, it takes salvation and transformation for these things to manifest. And I want to look at both of them this morning before we continue on. First of all, salvation. Look at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who commanded the light to shine out of, the, out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It begins with salvation. When a person is saved, there is a restoration of the glory of God within his innermost being. It was the glory of God that came into our spirits and recreated our spirits and brought us out of death and darkness into the light of his kingdom and love. That came when you were born again. When you accepted Jesus as your Savior. Can you imagine the glory that we see appearing in the Old Testament, in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies? The same glory that we see appearing on the day of Pentecost, when the glory fell, the fire fell, entered each and every one of them as they became the temple of God. When you and I got saved, we got filled with the Holy Ghost. It was the glory of God that entered into our innermost being. And we now house the glory of God. We have this glory in an earthen vessel. Some say jars of clay. Inside of us, we house the glory of God. So that's the beginning of it. That's the impartation that we receive from on high when we're born again. And then God says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, transformation is a different thing. We've got this glory on the inside, but we're to be transformed from glory to glory so that we can have a greater manifestation of God's glory outwardly. Look in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what it says in verse 18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass, that is, as you look to the word of God, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What's he saying? He is saying that when we look into the mirror of God's Word, and we declare what it says, we see what it says, now that we're born again, now that we have the glory on the inside of us, we read what it says, 
line upon line, precept upon precept, the Spirit of God who brings conviction upon our hearts and lives will begin to instruct us so that we can gently be transformed from glory to glory. Well, why doesn't he just zap us all at once? He had to take you straight to heaven. You couldn't stand it. Gently. Now, Bill, you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. Yeah, I see in your word it says I shouldn't do this. Okay. Now, you should do this. Oh, I see that, Lord. Okay. Hmm. I need help. I need help, Lord. You want me to fast pizza? I need angelic help. I need the Holy Ghost help. See, when we look to the Word of God and we see something that we don't necessarily like, you just go, hmm, okay, I shouldn't be bitter toward anybody. I shouldn't be unforgiving toward anybody. I shouldn't be critical of other people. And we start seeing these things, what happens? Either we say, well, it doesn't matter. Well, if you do that, then you limit the glory that's on the inside of you. And you prevent it from manifesting on the outside of you. It's called working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we should be so reverentially, let's say, fearful toward God that we say, hmm, I don't want to do that. Mm-mm. I don't want to displease him. I don't want to dishonor him. With that kind of an attitude as individuals, the Holy Spirit then takes us and he transforms us. See, to transform means to change us from glory to glory. But guess what? If we ignore it, there's a limitation on the amount of glory that you and I display in the earth. Our earnest desire should be what? To conform to the image of Jesus so that people can see the love of Christ in us. The mercy of God manifested through us. The same forgiveness whereby we were forgiven manifested through our lives. And as we do so, we're changed from glory to glory. This doesn't happen because someone lays hands on you and says, now be filled with the glory of God. It's a decision that we make as an individual that I'm going to, for example, follow the laws of God. I'm going to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and put him first in my life. I'm not going to have any graven images before me because I only want my eyes to behold him. I'm going to remember his name to keep it holy. You know, there was a time when people wouldn't dare use the name of the Lord in vain as a believer in particular. Just wouldn't do that. Why? Out of reverence for him. And then, of course, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. See, people think that that has nothing to do with who they are, with their character, their conduct, their behavior, etc. But wait a minute. The life of God that's on the inside of us, God wants to get to the outside of us. That would be the light shining among men when they see our good works. What they're seeing is the glory of God on the inside manifesting on the outside of us. And we're being transformed from glory to glory. When I first got saved, you could not keep me out of church. When I, before I got saved, you couldn't get me into church. 
I'll, I'll confess I'll just, of, of my own self. This is me. This is When I got to the place where I could actually drive a car, I was so fed up with church five days a week and then on Sunday, five days during the school week and then on Sunday, that finally my next door neighbor, my brother and I, we got in the car, we drove down to the, it was actually it was a bowling alley where they had pool tables. We played pool during that time. I'm confessing. That's what I did because it was so boring to be in church. Couldn't stand it. But you know what? When I got saved and I knew Jesus as my Savior, you couldn't keep me out of church for anything. I got changed. I got transformed. See, it's not someone coming along saying, you got to do this. It's God coming in and just saying, I love you so much. Would you please me? Would you just go to church and honor me? Absolutely. I want to. I want to. And no sacrifice was too much. Even if I worked the night shift in the mill, I would still be there in church and with my work clothes. And I would, when church was over, sometimes I had to leave early. I would just go and drive off to work and change there. It didn't matter to me. Where's all that coming from? Conviction from the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of things, we say, yes, I submit myself to that so I can be transformed from glory to glory and experience a greater measure of the glory manifesting through my life. We want to lay hands on the sick so that they can recover. Brother Hagen used to say, don't lay empty hands on empty heads then. Let that sink in for a moment. Empty hands, there's nothing there coming out of it. Empty heads, not knowing how to receive it. You can't just go through the formality of it and expect it to work. It's because you've set yourself apart and you have filled yourself up with him so that when you go for it like Jesus did in his prayer time during the morning and minister to people, there's something that you're giving out. And that's exactly what he did. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because the Apostle Paul helps us recognize uh, the fact that our view of difficulties that we encounter in life is extremely important. How we view it is extremely important. Do you know, this is the amplified version. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither. But we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly without definite aim. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. But I, like a boxer, buffet or buffet my body. Which is it? Oh, spelled the same. I thought maybe some interpreter of that is buffeting it. <laughs> I buffet my body, handle it roughly. Oh my, discipline it by hardships and subdue it for fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit and not stand the test and be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. Wait, who's saying this? The Apostle Paul who was caught up to the third heavens? Who saw Jesus on the Damascus road? Who was engulfed by the glory of God? Notice what he's saying here. I'm 
fully aware of the fact that my body doesn't want to release the glory of God. My body does not want to cooperate with God. So I need to buffet it, beat it up daily, discipline it like a boxer in training, like an athlete in training. I've got to produce hardship for it. Tell it no, you're not going to have your way. When our feelings and emotions want to act up and act out, what is he saying? I had to discipline them and train them and let them know I will not respond or react that way. I'm going to respond the way God would have me to. Why? Because I want to be transformed. He said, I want Christ manifest in my mortal body. I want to know the power of the resurrection as it manifests in me. I've not attained it yet. Can you imagine what he's saying? If he had to do all this for himself, who had all those experiences in God, how much more should we, on our behalf, for our own well-being, be the same way and just say, you know what? I want more of God. I want Him to manifest His glory through my life. I want change. I want transformation. I want to be more Christ-like. I want to demonstrate who He is. I want to have miracle working power flowing from my hands when I pray for people. I want what God wants for me. So Paul said, look, I've got to do it so I could become spiritually mature myself. I haven't attained it yet. But I'm on my way. And what about this? Those were the four commandments that he gave us toward him. Number five. Honor your father and your mother. Which is the first commandment with a promise. That it may be well with you. And that you may live long on the earth. The last six are relationship. The relational issues. Where he talks about. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. I'll bear false witness. And so on. What are we saying? What's he saying? I want you to look like me. I want my life and glory that's inside you to manifest outside you. So that you can walk in a disciplined way. So as to manifest my glory in the earth. How many of you know it's easy to manifest the flesh? Isn't it? Just don't do anything. It'll act up. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 15 through 18, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of the things that say that He wants us to change in our lives, He doesn't do it to bring shame in our lives. In any way to harm us. He does, us, he does this for us, for our own good and benefit, so that we can change and be more Christ-like and have a greater manifestation of His glory. See that none render evil to evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice that last statement. In everything give thanks. In other words, develop an attitude of thankfulness or gratitude. Why? Because this is the will of God. Among all these other things, don't be vengeful. Pray without ceasing. Render to no man evil for evil. He goes on to say, in everything give thanks. So as we approach Thanksgiving, it's not about a day we set aside to celebrate with turkey and family. 
It's about our being transformed from glory to glory in such a way so as to be thankful in all the circumstances of life, in everything. Notice, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. Whatever it is that we're going through, give thanks. For what? For God saying to us, what is it that you need? I'm your provider. I'm your protector. I'm your healer. I'm your deliverer. I'll meet the need, whatever it might be. I've already done everything that is necessary for you to succeed and for your success. So, Father, I want to give thanks to you this morning because you're my Savior. You're my Redeemer. You're my healer. You know, it is easy to complain when our eyes are on the problem and not on God. It is easy to give thanks when our eyes are on God and not the problem. So when we have a difficulty that we go through in life and that, like a neon sign, is just coming our way, it's easy to complain and murmur and just be disappointed in life. But when our eyes shift over from the situation to God, it is so easy to give thanks because we've exalted Him above the problem. Now, that's easier said than done. I realize that. But to give you an example, let's look at the Israelites. They carried the glory in the wilderness. The glory was there manifesting in a cloud by day and a fire by night. God was their protector. He put a wall up between them and the enemy. And he himself said, you saw my glory in the wilderness but you will not get into the promised land. They were denied carrying it into the promised land. Why? They were ungrateful. They murmured. They complained. Why? Their eyes were on the giants. Their eyes were on the walled cities. The eye, their eyes were on the lack of provision as far as they were concerned. And so they murmured and they complained and they murmured and they complained. How many of you know it's very easy to do so when our eyes are on the problem? But Joshua and Caleb came along and said, Okay, that's the natural report and it's all true. But God is on our side and God is bigger and greater than the problem. I will not join together with you having your pity party moment murmuring and complaining about the God that we serve. He is more than enough and we're more than capable to occupy the land and bring the glory that you've experienced here in the wilderness into the promised land. Can you imagine the glory of the promised land? In that place, he said, I'm going to give you everything you need. Walled cities. I'm going to give you cities you didn't build. I'm going to give you trees you didn't plant. I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you wells you didn't dig. In that place, I will remove sickness and disease away from the midst of you. And the number of your days I will fulfill because I will be manifested in that place called the promised land. Wow. So, why do you want to sit here and complain about what you're going through when you see the end result here is I'm going to get you there and the glory you see here, you could carry it into there. And it'll be greater in manifestation than out here in the wilderness. But you see, they couldn't be convinced to do that. So God had to wipe out the entire, uh, let's say, generation from 20 years old and up 
and raise up a Joshua generation and let them know God is on your side. You've got a covenant with God. Your enemy's been defeated. Remember, He brought you out. He is with you, in you, and for you. He's got greater things for you on the other side, but all you've got to do is be thankful. All you've got to do is say thank you. The work's already been done. Just say thank you for what's been done. Look at the book of James. Being thankful in adversity is not a feeling, it is a choice. It is a decision that a person makes within. Because you know your God, you know His faithfulness, you know that He's going to watch over His Word to perform it and make it good. So, what do you do? You exalt Him and His Word above the problem. In James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that you be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It goes on to say. Now, let's just start at the beginning here. James, the half-brother of our Lord, was known for, before the resurrection, going around wherever Jesus would go to preach, and stirring up trouble for him along the way. He did not believe in his half-brother as being the Messiah. And I'm, I'm sure he was envious and jealous of all, maybe let's say, all the recognition that Jesus was getting here upon the earth. After the resurrection, it's clearly stated that Jesus appeared to James to get his act together. And when James realized he's the Messiah... And then reminisced over all those years growing up with him, realizing, I grew up in the same house of the Son of God, the Messiah. I, re I ignored him. I, I heard him. I heard his ministry and so on. He did a 180. And now these scattered tribes are out there because of the persecution that's taking place. And so what does James say? Look, when you face difficulty, trials, tribulations, and circumstances that are adverse, It's easy to cry out and complain, etc., etc. He said, look, don't complain. Count it all joy. Now, that is unnatural. It is not natural to count it joy or to rejoice in adversity. Man, pain hurts. That's a reality. And that's why we say that it's a decision that we make. If we want to carry the glory into the promised land then we've got to change our mindset, the way we think. And we've got to learn, praise God, it's a learned experience. I'm, I guarantee you, this characteristic of being thankful to see the glory of God is something that we learn. Paul said, I have learned in whatever circumstance I'm in to be independent of the circumstance. I'm not dependent on it. My feelings lie. My feelings, my emotions, they produce a lot of things that are false. Can you say amen to that? Fear sometimes is unfounded and yet people believe in it. Feelings that say, I don't care about somebody can be unfounded as well. You see, God wants us to act out by choice. I'm choosing to count it joy. And the word count is like a military word. I'm commanding it. As a commanding officer, joy in the situation. David said it this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Why do you think he's shouting that out? Because his emotions don't want to do that. 
And don't forget one benefit. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our lives from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies our mouth with good things. Our youth is renewed like the eagle. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. No, you should be angry and hold animosity toward that person. I know my flesh wants to, but I'm choosing not to because I want the glory of God to manifest through my life. Not that. Do you see that? What a difference it makes. We house the glory. We have it in jars of clay. But God wants us to get it from the inside to the outside and start making right choices and decisions. Why? In these last days in which we live, that's what it's going to take. Exalting the things of God. Look at first above the adversity. Look at First Peter chapter 4. If this all came naturally, it wouldn't be a command for God to command us to count it all joy. But there's certain things you need to know that the trying of your faith works patience. So if we want to develop patience in our lives so that we can through faith and patience inherit the promises, then we've got to learn how to count it all joy or be thankful in adversity. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a try you. Like this is a strange us going through what we're going through with all that we're going through with COVID and everything else that we've been encountering in this life we've been living here for the last two years. Don't think it's strange. We can go all the way back through human history and every generation there's always been challenges, right? You're really enthusiastic this morning. As though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice. But what? What? What I'm going through, fiery trial, what? Rejoice in as much as you're partakers of Christ's suffering. Not sickness, not disease, but you're going through these trials and tribulations and situations, this adversity. Well, why? Because when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. See, you've already demonstrated joy, but now exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, let's put this in perspective. When you and I begin to say thank you in the midst of, hang up on them. Thank you in the midst of, tell them off. And so on. And we say, uh-uh. Glory to God. I'm so thankful to God for the love that's in my heart. When we look into the mirror of God's word and we see that God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Love one another as he has loved us. Guess what? We start to be changed. When we read in Matthew 5 when he says, And love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use and abuse you. And speak well of those that speak evil of you. And you go... Really? Seriously? You have any idea, Lord, what they did? Uh, yeah, I know. I'm pretty much aware of it. And you want me to love them? That's what I said. How can I? The same way I loved you. Did you get that? The same way I loved you. So now you love them the way I loved you. That's how. 
And then we start getting changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. It would be nice to say we're going to have an impartation meeting. Come up here, I'm going to lay hands on you and the glory will be on you for the rest of your life. You'll never be tempted to be unforgiving or bitter or anything like that ever again. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a learned experience. We learn to be grateful. We learn to be thankful. And we thank Him in all things. I thank you that I have another opportunity to prove that you are the God of the universe. I may be challenged here on this earth, but I'm proving that you are the God of the universe. The creator of all things. Look at, um, let's see, where are we at? Look at First Timothy or Philippians chapter 4, because when it comes to prayer, I want to get this out before we close here. Thanksgiving helps us stay focused when we pray. And here's why Paul said it this way. Be careful for nothing. That means don't have any worry, anxiety, fretting, or fears about anything. We all mastered that, right? We've all mastered that, right? We're not careful, not fearful, not worried about anything, no anxiety about anything whatsoever. We're just carefree. Okay. For nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Why does he say with thanksgiving? Because thanksgiving keeps the focus on God. The focus of our prayers is God and not on self. I'm focusing on you. I prayed. Now I'm thanking you for taking over the situation. I'm praising you for the victory that I have. I'm thanking you that you heard me and I have my request fulfilled. Jesus mastered this. In John's Gospel, chapter 11, let's look at these verses. He mastered this. Jesus said to her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee. There they are. I thank thee. The focus is on you. You heard me say, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I thank thee that you have heard me. Do you know one of the keys to answered prayer is this? If you ask according to his will, he hears you. And if you know he heard you, whatever you ask, you know you have the petition you desired of him. What a model this is. Jesus models this concept. And I know that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that, thou, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with great grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So Jesus, and if you look at his life, was always giving thanks to the Father. You know what? When we give thanks, we'll develop an attitude of appreciation for everything that we give thanks for. Thank you for the air I breathe when I get out of bed in the morning. Thank you. I've got running water in my home that I can take a shower. 
Thank you, I can open up my refrigerator door and there's food there. Thank you, the cupboards are full as well. Thank you that I've got this. Thank you for the clothes I wear. Thank you for the car that I'm drying. Thank you for the house that I live in. Thank you, thank you, thank you that I can believe that your hand is upon my children when they go off to school today. And no matter what they encounter, you will go before them. Angels will surround them. Thank you for a loving husband and loving wife. Thank you for a family. And we just, we start thanking Him and thanking Him. We develop an attitude of deep appreciation for those things. Thank you for your power that's at work in me. Your power is at work in my life. Thank you for flooding me, filling me with your glory. I want it to squeeze out of me everywhere I go in this life. Thank you. Real quick, 1 Timothy chapter 4. If we all have a prayer list, do you have one? Add to that a thanksgiving list. Do you have a prayer list? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't ask him every day to do the same thing. Thank him for doing the same thing. Thank you for surrounding my children. Thank you for the provision. Thank you, whatever it is. Thank you that I'm healed. Thank you I'm delivered. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5, through 5, this is how the enemy worked to destroy the work of God from the very beginning. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What are they giving heed to? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which, hath, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Notice he's talking about lies and he's talking about truth. We take this to the very beginning and what does he do? He gets Eve's focus off the truth on the lie and the deception and says, do you see that tree there? If you do something, you'll have a higher, higher place and position with God. In other words, get the focus off of God and get the focus on you working to do something to have something better or greater. So, what did he do here? In the last days, he's going to make people think if you don't eat meat, and if you stay single and don't marry, you're going to have favor with God. You're going to have a, a better relationship with God. You know what that does? It takes the focus off of God and the work of Jesus and puts the focus on me. I remember when I used to do that stuff. I don't eat meat on Friday. You do. Sorry. I got it. You see the point? Little do I know they're saying, Jesus did that for me. You're foolish. I'm having a burger. And that ham looks really good. Hey. Do you see that? It takes the focus off of Christ and His finished work and it puts the focus on what I'm able to do to have a greater manifestation of God in my life. You know what we could do to have a greater manifestation of, the, of God in our life? Believe. Believe that Christ did it. It's done. 
Believe He's in me, the hope of glory. Believe He's working in me, His good will and His good pleasure. And I'm submitting to it by saying, thank you that I am controlled. Thank you I am, I am disciplined. Thank you my body is in subjection. Thank you you've satisfied the claims of justice for me. Thank you I've been a redeemed man for all these years. Thank you I can't do anything more to please you other than say thank you. Thank you. I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I'm set free. I'm useful to the kingdom of God. I'm a masterpiece in your sight. Isn't that pretty good? It's done. That's all we have to do is say thank you. Every day. And you know what? That's how it shifts from us back to Christ. And we give Him all the glory. And we carry the glory into the promised land. And that's what He wants us to do. Let's all stand together. Our conclusion is this. Thankfulness will change our lives. Not on Thanksgiving Day alone. But every single day, my thanking God for what He's done in me and through me. He'll change me from glory to glory. No matter what the difficulty is that we face, if we'll thank Him through it, He will manifest Himself to deal with it. Thank you for turning back the hand of the enemy. Thank you for providing me a job, for meeting my every need, for providing for me, let's say, a, let's say a spouse or whatever you're looking for. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Without singing the song, can you just take a moment right now and just say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Hallelujah. I rejoice in you, the God of my salvation, no matter what I'm going through right now. I'm thanking you for being the source of my strength, the source of my help, the source of my victory. My eyes are on you and you alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, how I thank you.